0: hello welcome to another week of our podcast med family i'm the host eric acker hosting with me today is karen hi guys so we are in what's it week two of (laughs) i'm really tired we are in week two it's only day one it's only monday and i'm already (laughs) just exhausted it's pathetic, honestly. But well, we
1: didn't get much sleep last night.
0: <laughs> no, but I mean, I I, I was dead by like 1.30. I, I think I was texting you like, I'm just now getting lunch. And it's like, my brain hurts. My feet hurt. <laughs> <laughs> just We are starting week two of internal medicine subspecialty. And my subspecialty is pulmonology. And it's... Good. I think last week uh, we had a lot more patient interaction, a lot more clinic time.
1: Well, that was all you did. It's really time. all we
0: did was clinic. It was all we start. You know, eight thirty in the morning, maybe see a pulmonary function test, and then we start seeing patients. We see patients all the way until the afternoon, which you either have a rep come in do a presentation, which ideally you should be awake for most of that. Uh, <laughs> Uh, yeah, I do so in the afternoon, ideally you awake for the representatives, the uh, pharmaceutical reps presentation, then you eat lunch and then you finish. I try I would try to finish my notes from the morning before we started the afternoon patients and then we run through the afternoon patients as fast, you know, and then really like Monday and Tuesday, maybe Wednesday, I was home I think reasonable hours which is like 5
1: 5:30. Yeah, um mm.
0: Maybe just Monday and Tuesday.
1: Monday and Tuesday. Wednesday and Thursday, he wasn't home until after the kids went to bed.
0: Yeah. Um, That'd be like 6.37.
1: Yeah. The kids are having racing withdrawals, and it's just not the same with mommy, I guess.
0: (laughs) Mm, Mommy doesn't trash talk like dad does.
1: Yeah. Eric is teaching our kids the art of trash talking, and it's just... It's hilarious and sad all at the same time. Like... It's great. It's not. But, um...
0: They don't understand. They
1: don't. They don't. Now every time our daughter gets shot, she's like, they don't like my face. It's just like...
0: Oh, Goodness. that's not exactly because what I meant. <laughs> that wasn't what Eric
1: meant when he, she's like, why did I get shot? And he's like, they don't like the look in your face. <laughs> yeah, that's,
0: that's going to have some, it's going to cost me some money in psychiatry later on.
1: <laughs> but yeah, and today they lost their races because they were misbehaving. And that was just, you, you just about killed them. But. <sighs>
0: I have to learn they are old enough to have consequences. I know
1: I wasn't disagreeing with you, I had threatened quite a few times today, so but um, yeah, this week you actually get a little bit different experience than several of the students because your doctor at the end of the last week of the month is um the on call doctor
0: and he goes, he does um critical care management, so he takes on a week of critical care he takes on a bunch of patients in the <laughs> he takes on a bunch of patients in the ICU and then some on the floor as well some of the just the hospital rooms and so we have been rounding on those So generally speaking if you're a med- medical student and you hear your doctor is going to take on patients in the hospital and you're going to round on patients you, you want to try to pre-round so my my morning started with an, a really bad attempt to pre-round.
1: Well, it didn't help that with your past doctors, you've known who their patients were and their schedule, and you went into this morning blind as to who your patients were, and.
0: Yeah, I had no idea because my since my doctor hadn't been, you know, rounding on these patients for a while and for weeks these are brand new patients obviously in the ICU to him he hadn't been assigned to a good number of them and so I couldn't just log on to the computer and find his patients and do all my pre-rounding work I had to I was trying to find a nurse that would could help me with it and I couldn't find the ICU for a little bit and a little bit of misdirection ended up just kind of pre-rounding as best I can on what I had and I think I, I pre-rounded. On, I was doing information on like five patients, and then none. I, only two of them were patients that we actually saw. And at nine o'clock, we all met up, kind of chatted for a little bit. Nine thirty, it's what's called multidisciplinary disciplinary rounds. So the physical therapist is there, the respiratory therapist, the nursing staff and of course the physician and the the medical team assigned to care for the the patients we all go through and we talk about every patient and <laughs> what's going on where they're at and of course since it's monday everyone's kind of dragging a little bit but also it's a it's a whole new handoff so it's a whole lot of information being passed around and people trying to figure out what's what's going to happen because interestingly enough it's different from one critical care specialist to another, like one might really like to do heparin dip, drips, and the other one might really like to do just eloquis and so they have very different ideas of how things should be done. And so it's an adjustment period for the staff to try to figure out, okay, what's this? What does this provider? What does this doctor like to do to keep keep management of all these patients? And so it, it ended up we started at nine thirty and by the time we got through all the patients it was about one thirty. <laughs> and we don't just round we have to go back and take care of things that you know put in orders for for the patients that we were assigned so we would go back and redo orders put in new orders change medications order ct scans order uh, ultrasounds etc and then do procedures so i think we only did one procedure that i recall today uh, and that was just we we put in a they call it an ij line which is internal jugular vein line and it was actually more intense than i thought like i, I was thinking this was just going to be you know slap a little bit of betadine or iodine on uh on the neck and and you know put a needle in and you know with, with a little bit of catheter on it and then you know T- you know, tape it down, you're good to go. And obviously that's a little bit foolish because the, the interior, in, internal jugular vein is quite large and moves a good amount of blood to, to and from the brain. And so it was full sterile procedure with sterile field. And we, we're teamed up with a nurse practitioner who handles the critical care from 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. or something like that. And then you had to put this line in that basically goes from, like, like I don't know, the triangle of your neck, like it went close to your jawline, and it goes all the way down, and since we were on the left side, no, we were on the right side, I'm sorry, we are on the right side, since we are on the right side, it goes all the way down, and you're trying to get it pretty close to the superior vena cava, maybe in the superior vena cava, I'm not exactly sure what the target is, but you, then you come back with, you know, radiology comes and takes a shot, sees how you did see where your line ended up and ours ended up in the right atrium so we're going to probably adjust that a couple centimeters but it's also hard to adjust it because at the conclusion of your placement you stitch it in oh you put some sti- you know because you have, you have to make some cuts a little bit here and there and you have to make some stitch you put some stitches down to make sure the line doesn't move anywhere and so Radiology is going to let us know if we need to move that, and we'll have to decide at that point what we're going to do. It was interesting to watch. I don't know, Doctor, my my preceptor will allow me to do something like that. I will see, but I was relating to him during one of our downtimes that rounding was just like a ton of information, like a fire hose of information just being shot at you, and in my mind, like I I'm I'm not I'm not acclimated to just rapid fire information on patient status that I don't really understand how to digest it and of course since I didn't pre-round on half of these patients I had no idea what was going on so it was none of it was familiar and some of the values didn't make any sense to me and you know I had no no reference on like what does that mean like a peep and I understand like I'm in pulmonology, I should probably know what ventilator settings are and (laughs) how that all works. That would be good information for me to know. So that's on me. That's definitely on me to go back and educate myself. But I was just related to my preceptor that it was very overwhelming at rounds that I need maybe some tips on, you know, how to get some baby steps, what to focus on, what, you know, what, if I'm just going to maybe just baby step my way into understanding how to you know get through rounds where where can i start which which information should i just focus on just to start and he heard me and then said well tomorrow why don't you pre-round on these four patients and then present to us so (laughs) i got i got assigned work (laughs) lesson learned i (laughs) won't be doing that again (laughs) I had a little bit of a panic because at first I thought it was going to be like, I have to present during the multidisciplinary rounds. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, I don't know if I I'm ready to present in front of PT, uh, <laughs> interventional radiology and respiratory therapy. And like I'm not sure if I'm ready to present in front of a whole bunch of people who actually know what they're talking about. But thankfully, it's just going to be like I just present to our small care team. So just myself. Doc, the preceptor and the nurse practitioner. And we also have a medical resident, a, a first-year medical resident. So oh,
1: okay. I didn't know
0: that. Yeah, he's, he's a nice guy. Um, he likes to... He, he, about halfway through our own personal rounding because we did the, the multidisciplinary rounds and we went back and did our own rounding. He, I think halfway through, was like, oh, yeah, by the way, when you go into the room, what you got to do is... You got to look at the ventilator settings and take note of what the settings are because sometimes they're different than what's in the chart. And then you have to also look at all the IVs and just make sure which IVs are actually up and running and just take note of those. It was a good tip because, you know, at some point you, I was just standing in the room because kind of like, I'm not sure what I'm doing in here besides... <laughs> uh, and, I mean, and we got a wide variety of patients. I mean, we, we definitely have our covid positive patients some on ventilators some are not on ventilators uh, we have our copd exasperation patients so some patients that have pneumonia negative for covid and then i uh, know we just have kind of a wide variety uh, since we're since my my preceptor is a pulmonologist i think most of the ones that we are taking on are ones that have pulmonology issues to some extent it seems to be a bit of a tug of war between if an issue is pulmonology or cardiology, because since the heart and the lungs are interconnected, sometimes what seems to be a possible pulmonary issue is actually a cardiac issue. So it's a it's just a, a lot of learning in a very short period of time, trying to absorb as much as possible and not get in the way and not be seen as completely incompetent.
1: Yeah. Well, but you last week, you were very much looking forward to this week and being in the hospital and and having these rounds and I think this is actually a good i don't know testament to what you will be doing in residency in about a year and a
0: half yeah, in about so, yeah. well about a year we will probably be doing something very similar to this <laughs>
1: <laughs> so I mean, you're getting your feet wet, right, yeah, and you're a third year medical student, so as much as. Like, you might feel like an idiot. You don't know how much the doctor is expecting from you. And as long as you put your best foot forward and you're attempting to follow along and do your best, I don't think it's ever going to reflect badly on you.
0: Yeah. Just looking back on, like, first week in clinic, and I was definitely looking forward to being back in the hospital. I, I'm i not very much sold on clinic medicine. Like, I'm not saying that it's... Not good. It's obviously has its place in the medical field. I'm just not sold that that's what I want to do is clinical medicine. So I know I like the hospital. I liked learning a lot in the hospital when I was on my pediatric rotation. And we did a lot of NICU and uh, pediatric rounding. So I was definitely looking forward to the hospital side. ICU, there's a lot more acute care. Um, frankly, just kind of train wrecks of patients who have multiple comorbidities that have to be managed. And so it is very interesting, And but that also means it's also very, very complicated. Now, clinic is also a lot of the same. But I just don't particularly love clinic because it's essentially... I, I, and this could be an issue with just medical students because I think a lot of times you have to... When you first walk in the patient's room, you have to overcome... A little bit of the patient just being kind of put off that they're being seen by a medical student. They they came to see the doctor and they want to see the doctor, and they are going to see the doctor. Like in this rotation, the doctor does still come in and talk to the patient, basically redoes everything I did, and then you know gives his treatment uh, plan and options and whatnot. So I think on one level, as a medical student, you have to overcome a little bit of the patient's disappointment that they're seeing seen by a medical student and so you have to try to impress them and some patients you know they're just they're giving you nothing like they, they don't want to talk to you they didn't come to talk to you so when you sit down and go okay what are we seeing you for today and they're like nothing or everything's fine and that's just like okay now i gotta work on my my interpersonal skills i gotta try to find a way to Find work my way into their hearts and minds and they they're happy to talk to me. And so most of the time that's worked out okay and I can find my way to talking to them. Sometimes it ends up what we talk too much or too long. <laughs> well um, that
1: depends on the patient too. Like you get the older patients, which I don't know what your experience was, but when I was working in in at the pharmacy and talk the older patients they are neglected a little bit by society and so they want to talk, they want somebody to listen. And they may repeat themselves five times. They might tell you something incorrectly, but, like...
0: You get your, your variation. You have, like, the older patient who is very with it. And, you know, they know all their medication. They know their history down flat. Like, they're probably more competent than you are in some cases. And then you have the patient who talks very slowly and isn't quite sure of what just happened, you know, last week or whatever. And they're they're really working hard to try to give you an accurate representation of what's going on. And and they're just having a hard time because, you know, mentally, cognitively, whatever, they are struggling. So you do get a a variety of patients you do have to work with. And you just, of course, have to find different techniques and skills and refine some techniques and skills and how to work on those patients because you, you're you balancing time constraints because you can't spend two hours with one patient and you're balancing like being making sure you're sensitive to them. Like if they're, if they're complaining about an issue and you just kind of blow it off, it might annoy them that they feel like they're not being listened to even if you go oh I don't think that that's a natural issue that we're going to address in this appointment and sometimes it's also balancing not blowing off an issue that they're really fixated on and trying to redirect to an issue that's like this is obviously a lot more concerning a lot more concerning like if you're coughing up blood I am much more concerned about that than your sleep apnea uh (laughs) (laughs) just as an example i guess um so clinic was a bit of a struggle for me because then you you do see the patients and it's kind of a daily grind you're not really providing a lot of intervention you're providing a lot of prescriptions you're adjusting and in this particular rotation my preceptor he gives me some feedback so I'll, i'll go see the patients by myself i'll go ahead and present as best as I can the patient why they're there what's what's their history and that's essentially all, all he's asking I might even give him pertinent physical exam findings because I'll, I'll do I'll listen to heart lungs look in the mouth and nose I think I even went as far as to check the tibia pulses of one of the patients and with this preceptor it's a little bit of a trick because he also is a primary care physician for some of these patients, so you don't know if some of the patients you're seeing just exclusively for their COPD or their sleep apnea, and then other patients you're like, oh, I'm actually seeing you for your diabetes management and (laughs) your COPD (laughs) and sleep apnea, so it's a little bit of a trick to try to figure out like how much information you need to really gather, because you don't, again, you don't want to spend too long gathering and going down and Finding out you know finding out all the history of the neuropathy of the legs and just for the doctor to be like I am only really treating their asthma like <laughs> we are even with an asthma inhaler we are not we're not prescribing gabapentin like that's not us so it's a little bit of a trick and it's not as enjoyable for me I definitely feel like it's more of a I think the day goes a little bit longer I guess that's probably the best way to go like whereas the hospital Rounds did feel like they took a long time, but that's just because I'm not used to being on my feet for four hours walking around on the hard floors of the hospital <laughs> and not ever sitting down. so but it did go by quickly, like back at nine o'clock to one thirty. I you know it did go by relatively quick, so I do enjoy the hospital a little bit more.:
1: Yeah, and we were talking this week. You actually were talking with a couple other students about this this week, and I think it might be something useful for people. There are different kinds. So along your medical school journey and along your clinicals and your away rotations, just kind of take a look at who you're following and what their practice looks like, because you can have a private practice or you can have a physician-led clinic, which is what Eric worked in before, or you can work for like the main hospital, the main hospital,
0: like like Mayo Clinic or Banner Health or something like that. Right,
1: and so there are different ways of setup, and you have a different amount of pull or sway or control over over whatever. Yeah, what decisions are being made, and so like. Kaiser, for example. Kaiser has a... I don't know how, what you would... What, what does um, Tuan do? Well, a buyer.
0: Tuan, Tuan's a buyer. He might have a different title.
1: But, like, they do all the contracts for all of the... Like, who you would use for an orthopedic...
0: Uh, he, he did, like, the ambulatory surgery. Uh, he buying so any implants, any equipment or tools that they would need in the OR or even in the labs. He would buy it. So
1: as a doctor, you don't get to choose whether you're using Depew or you're using, what's another one?
0: Smith and Nephew. Thank you. (laughs) I should
1: know these. You're fine.
0: You only know them because I I rant and rave about different reps and whatnot. But
1: in like the physician-led clinic that Eric worked in, each doctor could have their own, like, I want to use Smith and Nephew or... or, uh, Yeah,
0: I I have this great relationship with this Mako guy and so I only want to use the Mako robot and... Oh, i and every odd time I might pull out, you know, a Synthes thing, or I might pull out this, like very, very, varying degrees of equipment used in the OR. Right,
1: but you have a little bit more power to do so because you are part of a huge conglomerate, as opposed to if you were a private practice, you might have a harder time getting those contracts that you would like, or at, at a at a rate that you would like.
0: Well, I mean, in the in the sense of this Kaiser situation. Kaiser dictated, you know, because all the surgeons and physicians are own, you know, salaried by Kaiser. Kaiser part of the, how they cut the cost of healthcare is they can buy in bulk essentially. So it's just uh, well, this is what we use here. This is our equipment, and if you need something different, becomes sometimes you do need a different tool for a different job. There's an appeal process you can go through to get that. Whereas uh, where I was from we had i don't know four or five orthopedic surgeons going to the hospital and they all had their own different thing and then of course there was other practices that had orthopedic surgeons and they all had their own thing and in one hospital and the hospital just said well we don't own any of these orthopedic surgeons so these orthopedic surgeons can get up and go anywhere else <laughs> so if we don't accommodate their request and their needs. They can go somewhere else, and that's those are surgeries that we don't get to do. And, of course, there's a little bit of business side of medicine. If you don't get to do surgeries, you don't get paid for those surgeries, and surgeries make money.
1: Right. But, like, so it is just something to kind of keep in mind is that as you are going through all of these things, kind of look at the practice that this doctor is working in, look at what their relationship with the hospital kind of um those kinds of things and then also like with the physician led clinic versus a private practice the physician led clinic you have a whole staff there that helps get your credentials that helps you get all of those things that maybe you might not want to do as a private physician but
0: yeah, yeah it's not it's not as much as like being at like a Kaiser where Kaiser does all the work for you but you have no ownership stake in the company and so you don't really have a lot of control but the trade-off is that you can kind of jump in and get to work, and you have a pretty good safety umbrella around you. Versus the individual private practice, you're all by yourself. You have to you have to figure out everything: the insurance contracts, you uh, know, small representative contracts, hiring, firing staff, all that fun stuff you get to do.
1: Right. So, I mean, there's pluses and minuses to everything. I mean, my mom worked for Kaiser, so I'm not saying that, like...
0: <laughs> it's all about your personality, I yeah, think, Yeah, really. it's about your...
1: And, and the opportunities afforded to you. So, like, my mom was a nurse for several years, and... Well, she's still a nurse, technically, but she doesn't Yeah, work, she does. Yeah. She, she, she works a in the school, school district now. now. Um, but... Um, when she, my parents got married, like, Kaiser was great because it was in California and Washington and somewhere else Oregon. as well. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, yeah, anyways. <laughs> So they had the ability to move where it was more affordable at the time. Ha-ha! <laughs> Not anymore. <laughs> it was you know, 20, 40 years ago it was affordable. Um, but um, their insurance was great. It, it, like there's pluses and minuses. There's pluses and minuses to everything. Yeah. But it's just kind of something to keep in the back of your mind, like where you might want to work or what what opportunities afforded are afforded to you in different
0: areas. I, I would even say as, as physicians knowing your limitations and knowing like what, what do you need to be happy? Because you could be very happy, you know, doing family medicine, you have your patient load that comes in, your pay, your schedule is full and you, you can treat all your patients as you kind of want to. And it's not a big deal. And you, you get paid your salary and you work for Kaiser, no big deal. And you of course have amazing benefits. And that could make you happy. And you don't mind a little bit of intrusion from the administration saying, okay, you can only use these this equipment. And by the way, this is kind of an algorithm for treatment of certain things. And if that's fine with you, then that's fine that you could be happy in. If you're like, well, I, I really need to have more autonomy. I need to be my own physician. I need to be able to make my own decisions. And that's how I'm going to stay happy. Then you might want to lean more towards the private practices. <laughs> so, And then, of course, there's the big physician conglomerates where you have a little bit more control, but it's also a little bit more like the bigger systems. And so you have a little bit less control than if you had a private practice. It's all, again, it's all about like what's going to cause you to burn out. Like if you're going to be constantly butting heads with administration and being frustrated that someone is controlling your everyday day-to-day then you might really want to consider private practice. And this is coming from someone who hasn't been in private practice and who hasn't practiced, so take that with a grain of salt. But I, I really do think that a lot of physicians have burnout because of lack of control over their environment or they're just not in the right situation for themselves. And especially now that we're seeing private practices being bought out by bigger conglomerates, that can it's not as easy to be in a private practice today as it was 20 years ago
1: no but i think like from where we are originally from like there were not a whole lot of private practice but here it seems like
0: it's all it's all private 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 practice
1: (laughs) so i think that too is kind of something to look at like and I, I don't know why that, why that, why that is. I but,
0: couldn't tell you. I, right. I, I I could speculate, but I I, that'd just be speculating.
1: Yeah, but I will say, just from like a good friend of mine, her dad was a dentist, and he he had several different practices where he would start a practice, he'd get it going, he'd have good staff, he'd have good whatever, and then he would
0: get sell bought, it, sell it.
1: And then do something else for a while, and then he he always came back to being a dentist and starting up a new practice, and and that was fine for him. But I know it was a lot of work, a lot of work. And I know after like the second or third time that you start up a practice again, like you've got it, you've got it down. But
0: um, there's a, there's a lot of work involved in just in general. I mean. It, there's a lot more ins and outs of medical practices, and you know, covering tails, covering yeah. All well, sorts the of, malpractice insurance malpractice is insurance. a huge one
1: that you have to keep in in the back of your mind as a private practice versus a conglomerate.
0: Understanding RVUs, we're, we're kind of getting into the weeds of like the business <laughs> side of medicine. Sorry, I
1: should not have brought this up. I just <laughs> thought it was interesting because w- when we were talking about it with fellow students before, they didn't seem to. Realize that there were were the three different.
0: Yeah, we I've had plenty of conversations with students, and we've even had it on this podcast a little bit where the business of medicine is not taught very well. It's not really discussed much in medical school because it does kind of feel a little icky. Um, I mean, on the sense that you want, you know, you're idealistic as a medical student. You you want to treat patients. You want to you know you want to kick diseases butts. You you're really only focused on curing diseases, and you're not really thinking about okay. Well, in order to do, in order to cure disease, I need to be able to have X number of patients, and you know, keep the cost down, <laughs> and make a little bit of money so I can keep the doors open and hire staff. And I need to. Uh, you're not really thinking the business side. You know, we didn't get and we didn't get MBA, MBAs. We got we're getting MDs. And so a lot of us will learn the hard way in residency. Maybe we'll learn it after residency, the very hard way about business of medicine. But maybe we can have like a, a, something more dedicated to that in the future. I, yeah. Sorry, I didn't
1: mean to was on a on a wormhole. It, it's just not it's
0: not very well talked about. And when you're when you're in third year and fourth year, like if I had to learn all this stuff now, like no. I I'm like I said I, I was like drinking through a fire hose today during rounds. I have enough things to learn. I have enough things to try to figure out. How do I treat somebody with uh, respiratory failure and diabetes that's out of control and sarcoidosis and like how do I treat how do I manage a patient like that? You know what am I doing? And now they throw in well how do you also open a practice and how do you how do you <laughs> bill for patients and work contracts of insurance companies? Forget about it. I'm not doing it. Um, so I guess there's a reason why you don't learn it in third year. Uh. <laughs> <laughs>
1: but I feel like going back to this, this week or today, obviously, I feel like this is probably the most, I'm trying to think of the right word, shaky you've been in these rotations or at least confident. There you
0: go. That's- yeah, I mean, I think I was definitely least confident my first day of rotations in family medicine. Like uh, my first core rotation was in family medicine, going in and not having touched the patient in many months, you know, because we had COVID and we didn't go out and do our patient normal patient contact. And so our physical exams are a little lacking. We don't have the clinical skills that we would normally have had. And so I was very... I lacked confidence going into family medicine. I gained confidence through family medicine, then through psych, uh, because psych was a lot of talking and you get really good at patient interviews when you spend like an hour talking to a patient. And then (laughs) I got pretty good at pediatrics because again, I didn't have to do a lot of patient interaction in pediatrics. I, I mean, we had patient interaction, but I didn't have to have a conversation with the patient and the mom. Uh, Generally speaking, I just learned a lot on the NICU floor and then observed a lot in clinic. So this is the first time I'm just being thrown at basically internal medicine. The, The complexity of acute care, critical care, internal medicine, it's hospice level work. It's all adults because as we get older, things don't work as well. And then we slowly start breaking down and Your medication list becomes like two pages long. You don't talk well. You don't move well. And suddenly you're in the hospital and you have some poor medical student who's like trying to figure out like, is this person going into diabetic ketoacidosis? Is this just kidney failure? Is this heart failure? (laughs) You know, what's the difference between congestive heart failure and pulmonary hypertension or pulmonary failure? That's uh, primary to... Right heart failure, <laughs> like you know, which came first, you know. And so, yes, I, I am probably not very confident right now. I'm not doing particularly great on day one in the hospital. I've been assured by some of my cohorts that this is how everybody feels, and <laughs> <laughs> well, and
1: you got some tips today about how to present.
0: Yeah, I, I, I won't divulge them just yet. That's be next week's. You know how how it worked out. Uh, I did talk to a friend of mine who's done 12 weeks of IM is doing surgery right now. And he talked about like some of the key things you should try to include on um, medicine rounds and present presenting medicine patients. So he was giving some kind of tips on that. So hopefully tomorrow I can implement those and do well in my presentations and hopefully just continue to improve throughout the week. And of course, as you dig into each patient you're going to learn more and more about management of patients and, I think a lot of things about medicine is curiosity. I I definitely have a lot of curiosity. I like I like to know how things work. I like to know why we do what we do. And when you dig into the unknown, you dig into these patients, you don't understand what's going on, what treatment mechanisms you're using. You just start learning it as you are you as you dig in. And then of course you have to ask questions and hopefully my questions don't end up with me with more signed work but we'll see how that goes yeah i mean it's it's i don't know it's a it's definitely interesting we still have we're on week two so we still have like ten and a half weeks left to go of this yeah. rotation oh, probably less cause we, about you
1: know, two weeks left of pulmonology and then
0: we go to got- the hospital as possibly maybe cardiologist we'll see yeah it'll be fun yeah. I, I don't know if I've, like, cemented myself as... Because I am still tossing and turning between internal medicine and surgery. And I don't know if I, I might have shot myself a little bit in the foot with this preceptor. Because on day one, he was trying to get his pen light to work. <laughs> and as Karen knows, I like to kind of fiddle. And if something's broken, I like to kind of... Fit, I, I do like to fix it. I do like fixing things. I do get a... He can't a,
1: not fix there's it. There's a great
0: satisfaction... I get from fixing something and that's not to say like in trying to apply this to medicine I'm not I'm not trying to say like family medicine doctor doesn't fix things they obviously do you just don't get the payoff right away <laughs> like you go okay I'm gonna fix your diabetes here's some insulin or here's some metformin please take it and then maybe in like six months you when the a1c is dropped below seven six point five and you're like yes I fixed something but like, you don't get the payoff for months if you ever do get a payoff I like fixing something and having that immediate payoff yeah. so i fixed my preset this pen light he didn't joke and said well now you get an a in the in the rotation but i i kind of wonder if like oh shoot i just like tore apart a piece of you know just a pen light it's not exactly all that complicated mm-hmm. i tore apart this pen light and fix it and i just by doing that i proved to him i, I like doing surgery more than i like anything else <laughs> so we'll see <laughs> I mean, I'm kind of using this as a little bit of a segue because one of the I, I in previous episode we talked about I like fixing cars like uh, occasionally if our car our car has an issue I try to figure out what's wrong with it and then I fix it and that's saved us a lot of money yes <laughs> it's not always the the timeliest thing that I do and not my timeliest hobbies
1: <laughs> no.
0: but recently Karen's phone so I, I mean backtrack just a little bit and tell the story during our christmas vacation in texas karen karen's phone was accosted by one of our children and the back glass of the phone was shattered and that's a pretty cheap like sixteen dollars you get this new back glass all you got to do is peel off the old back glass and then you know you don't see the air quotes there all you have to do is peel off this super glued on back glass that you're using a, a heater for and so I I peeled off the back glass and in the process I I punched the battery uh, <laughs> and initially after a spark I thought I killed the phone because you know when you have a lithium lithium ion battery, generally speaking like it's over it's done but the phone turned back on. I put it all back together and I was like, well I guess if it turns back on no big deal. And then Karen, like a couple of days later, was like, "The flashlight doesn't work." I'm like, okay, well, can you live without a flashlight? Yeah, I can live without a flash- flashlight. Okay, no big deal. And then she kept having these episodes where the phone would just turn off. And she, I think she, you had equated it to like battery going dead, like it was like lasting like two hours and then going dead or something like that. Yeah. I'm like okay, that's really kind of annoying. We might think about fixing it. And then you showed me, like, how the screen was bowing out. like. And I th- initially thought, well, I did have to use the heat gun to get the old glass off. So it's possible I, I heated the, the screen enough that the, the sticky adhesive had come out and you were losing the screen. And so I was like, okay, well, we probably should fix this because now the screen's poking out it's no longer waterproof. Like, (laughs) the only thing the phone had going for it was that it's waterproof. (laughs) And now it doesn't even have that. So, I was like, okay, I'll just buy some parts. And, it's really actually not that expensive to, I found out. I can find some decent online stores that sell batteries and um, cables for the flash. And so, I tore the entire phone apart. It took, uh, how many hours did it take me to do? (laughs) <laughs> too many i was too late you <laughs> no. were like 15 minutes late to a baby shower and karen's just sitting there and thir- staring at minutes,
1: me 30 minutes i i just I spent, let me take your phone
0: <laughs> i've spent like three hours disassembling very carefully this expensive device to reinstall a battery and reinstall the flash that in it would include the in, the entire electrical connectors. Again, I had to disassemble literally almost everything inside the phone, and then I'm putting it back together. And Karen is just staring at me for like. Hurry this up. is this uh, is where
1: like, Eric's
0: m- impulse or compulsion. He, he,
1: he cannot stop something midway through. He has to find figure it out and fix it. But I, I have a very hard time being late to anything. Oh
0: my gosh. It's I mean, a, a party that you were not the host for.
1: It doesn't matter.
0: That even the it doesn't individual matter. that the party was being held see, for was see, late.
1: We're coming at, see, you see how it is? We're, this like is how what many parties to do you go was, to where
0: people show up exactly on time?
1: Well, people don't show up 30 minutes late either.
0: Have have you been to
1: your house? Yes. Okay. Your family doesn't count. <laughs> <laughs> your family can't be on time to anything. How dare you! <laughs> it's true. So whatever. Yes. <laughs> Eric was getting frustrated that I was frustrated, but he he knows this about me. Like we've been married for eight eight years. Eight years. So he knows this about me. He should have foreseen this, and. I knew that he wasn't going to stop, which was fine because I'm not going to take a broken phone with me. But I just wanted to take his. But, like, you could just tell that he didn't want me to take his. I
0: wanted the satisfaction of turning that phone on, it working, and then being like, go to your party. And then Karen <laughs> can now have a conversation piece with all the ladies and be like, look at this. My husband fixed my phone. It works perfectly.
1: Karen didn't mention it at nope, all. Nope, not at all.
0: Not, no, no credit whatsoever. <laughs> Nobody
1: cares at a baby shower. <laughs>
0: How many people do you know can fix a phone?
1: Nobody cares when it comes to women. They care that your husband is handy and that is about it. Uh, yeah. So. Anyway. Anyways. that It will be a trait that makes Eric a very good doctor. However, I have a feeling that... We will have to have some boundaries that when he comes home, you have to stop thinking about the problem at the hospital, and stop working.
0: It doesn't. It doesn't happen. Even today, I I had told the nurse pra, the nurse practitioner asked me over lunch, remind me to ask the preceptor your preceptor about billing. I'm like, okay, we'll do. I even wrote it down on one of my notes here. Yes, ask about billing. I got all the way out of the hospital and mind you this I forgot my bag the first time I left and so I had to go back and get my bag and I had to do the whole awkward actually I'm actually leaving now thanks bye (laughs) I had a whole conversation with one of my counterparts another medical student who was giving me tips about how to do the rounding and so like gosh I'm now going to be leaving you know 20 minutes later than Initially, how awkward would it be for me to go back up there and be like, "Oh, by the way, you should uh, ask him about billing." Like, I feel like she would think that I'm a weirdo. You know, I I last saw you 30 minutes ago. You didn't leave. What's going on? It's still bother- It's still bother- bothering me that I didn't. You should have just gone back. <laughs> oh my gosh.
1: At the very worst, she could be like, "Well, he rem- he remembered and he thought it was important enough to come back and remind me." Or you could have just texted the doctor and been like, the MP I like was how you wanting... Could,
0: I like how you... I don't have a doctor's phone number. Why? He hasn't given it to me.
1: Why didn't you ask for
0: it? I... How do you...
1: Hey, shouldn't doctor, can you, I
0: have your phone number?
1: Shouldn't you have... But that's like... I always had my boss's phone number.
0: I gave him my phone number today. He hasn't had... it. He didn't have it until today.
1: But if you gave him yours, you should have been like... I don't think he intends to else? ever
0: talk to me ever again. <laughs> it doesn't <laughs> I think, matter. I think he's like, I'm, once I'm done with this kid, I'm done. Like, well, that's
1: fair. That's fair. I don't. Expect, like, but you should have a way to contact him.
0: Yeah, it's probably true. But I have a way to contact his clinic, but not him. It, I don't know. It, I don't know how you ask somebody who probably doesn't like having a whole bunch of people bombard them with phone calls and text messages. Like, can I have your phone number? And it's like, I haven't offered it to you, so how about know? <laughs> anyway.
1: <laughs> I guess that's fair because, I mean, if you're a medical student, I like he how might you're not. giving me
0: the advice to go back into the hospital 20 minutes after I had left the second time.
1: Well, it would bug me.
0: And then you're completely ignoring our conversation during lunch. You know, like so this is, I'm going to divulge this and then I hope this isn't too weird for some people. But so I, I went to, we went to the physician's lounge to have lunch and the nurse practitioner went there as well because, you know, it's free lunch. Why not? And so I went to the bathroom. And, you know, as, as a male, I don't have to sit. So I, tur- put, I noticed that the toilet seat had a little bit of urine on it. The previous occupant apparently did not care to pull, put the seat up when they used it. He used it. But in my mind, I thought, well, I'm not sitting. Put the seat up. Do what I need to do and then leave. And I'm thinking nothing of it. And, of course, I left the bathroom. And then immediately after I left, the nurse practitioner, like, past me, and she was going back into the same stall. Not stall, but, like, same bathroom. They have, like, individual bathroom rooms. And all I can think of for the next, like, 20, 30 minutes was, like, I saw that there was pee all over the toilet seat. I put it back down because I'm married and I have a wife that would kill me if she fell into the toilet in the middle of the night. And now this nurse practitioner thinks I just peed all over the toilet seat. (laughs) <laughs> and just left it for her. <laughs> like, she probably thinks I'm some kind of animal. <laughs> so, like, I am not in uh, anyone's good graces right now. Because, like, how how do you have that conversation later? Like, she gets out of the bathroom. You just don't. You'd be like, you be like, hey, it. I didn't pee on the toilet seat. <laughs> like, what are you doing? Like, you can't have that conversation. <laughs> you just eat your lunch in silence. <laughs> I tried making small talk, but I was like, I had, I think she had, like, a headache going on, but and, like, her kids were sick or something like that, so she was really worried about that, and so I tried making small talk. I could get the sense that she wasn't really interested, so I'm like, okay, silence it is. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, we're going a bit long here. Um
1: Come back next week <clears> for <throat> more stories. Yeah. On,
0: on <laughs> we'll see you we'll update to see if I've <laughs> redeemed myself from the, the guy who pees on toilet seat. <laughs> we'll see. So, yeah, if you want to follow us online, we have our social media presence at Instagram at MedFamilyMD. Yep. And Karen looks over that stuff. She posts all the fun stuff to promote the podcast have any questions or topic requests go ahead and put them in there and then you can of course find our podcast at any of the major podcasting sites uh itunes spotify etc go ahead and rate us five stars if you could that does help us out a little bit we we don't make any money but you know if we could reach out to a larger audience to you know reach somebody who might have some questions or concerns about If they can make it as a medical student, we want to be that encouragement for them. We want to give them that insight as far as what our journey has looked like. So that's why we make that request. And I guess until next week, you hope you guys have a great week. Bye.